In this program, we're going to try to figure out why Clint Eastwood is possibly the most popular movie star in the world, and why his Dirty Harry is a mean, violent guy who hardly ever says anything and isn't very likable, is one of the most popular characters in the history of the movies. Wish me luck. Good luck, camera. In three, two, one. and Jason watching movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And this week we will be continuing our coverage of Dirty Harry, directed by Don Siegel, and with a small segment directed by Clint Eastwood, written by Harry Drink, Rita M. Fink, and Dean Reisner, starring Clint Eastwood, Andrew Robinson, Harry Gardino, and I'm going to say one more character, Rennie Santoni as Chico. Folks, you'll notice that Anya isn't with us this week. She had some technical dif technological difficulties and decided to take a vacation. So she won't be with us this week. She will do a Tuesday short and describe her, her reaction and her verdict to uh, Dirty Harry. Uh, also, I know in the last episode, I promised that we would have some fun Instagram stuff with Anya's technological difficulties happening. We just couldn't do that this week. Uh, videos will be out with this recording or at some point during our coverage of the Dirty Harry series. Not to worry, though. There's some fun stuff on the way en route, yada, yada, yada. When last we spoke, we left off with Harry and one of his partners catching the killers, the Scorpio killer in a football stadium, Jason? Yes. Old Kizar Stadium, which uh, no longer is standing, but it's where the 49ers, I believe it might have been their last year there. Uh, so it, you know, it would have been a San Francisco landmark at the time. Okay. But he's living there. He's living there. And Harry finds out that, that he's living there uh, due to, as I think we did state, the violation of HIPAA, which had not been passed yet at this time. And and so Harry's going to go to the stadium and find him without a warrant. Without a warrant, yes. And find him he does. Yep. I think when we last spoke, uh, our hero had shot our villain and was about to ask our villain some hard questions. And he's he's about to torture, uh, uh, and in fact is in the process of torturing uh Scorpio when we left, uh, when we left it, when we left him. Now, Harry, so to recap briefly, audience, Scorpio has kidnapped a, a, a young woman, a young, a young, a teenager, not even a woman yet, 14 year old or 13 year old, and said that if he doesn't get a, a large number of dollars, he's going to kill the girl. 
And so it's a race against time. The girl is buried. She only has enough oxygen for so so many days. Uh, so says Scorpio. But Harry doesn't believe this, but he's 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 operating under the assumption that that indeed there is a chance to save the girl. And he's faced with the moral conundrum. And one of the questions I have in my notes before we left off, what do you do as the police officer in this moment? I'm going to let you answer that in a second, Jason. We have some benefit in this film in having perfect knowledge of the situation. We know that Scorpio is the bad guy. We have seen everything that Harry hasn't seen, that no other police officer's seen. And I think that that's one of the things that makes judging Harry in this moment hard for the audience. Do you know what I mean? Because in our world, in the world we live, this is a horrible thing that Harry is about to do. He's about to step on the wounded leg, uh, the leg he stabbed, the leg he's now shot with the 44 Magnum to get this information. I, I never was conflicted when I was younger when I watched this movie. He was like, yeah, Harry, get that information because I know that Scorpio's the bad guy. But I don't think that audiences grapple with this question enough when they watch the movie because it's just a rah-rah, get him Harry kind of moment. What do you think of this moment when you're watching it with, with modern eyes and when you might have first seen it, Jason? It's very interesting. Actually, even with modern eyes, even with modern eyes, if you're only... Now, you just pointed out Harry's perspective, but I would look at it from the perspective of what she's still alive. You know, is it is it morally justified to cut through all the, the, the red tape? It's not red tape, but I mean, to cut all these corners to get to the possibility of saving her. However, we know that Harry believes she's dead. Yeah. He does, doesn't think she's alive. He said that uh, to the chief. He said, you know, she's already dead, right? Yeah. From Harry's point of view, that makes it very difficult to justify. But of course, uh, the context of the film, which doesn't speak very well for, our, you know, us as a country, I guess. But in the very next scene, we'll jump to in a second, Harry discovers these Supreme Court cases that occurred in these that he was, bl- uh, of whose existence he was blissfully unaware. He's genuinely surprised to find out about these Supreme court cases that we all know about now miranda every i mean i mean we don't have to explain miranda rights to anybody listening to this podcast but those rights came from a supreme court case in 1965 i'm not sure the exact year but um you know a lot of these cases were decided just five six years before this movie was made and it's difficult for us and i think i might have mentioned this in the in episode one it's difficult for us young as though we still are or as we still are to realize that there was a, there was a pre-Miranda world where people didn't think of the police didn't think about those things. Harry thought he was still living in that world. He did. <laughs> yes, he uh, did. Which and, says, a lot about, um, says a lot about San Francisco PD training at the time. Like it seems like they should have got them up to speed on on that. But yeah, even still, I think that Harry had to sort of operate under the assumption that maybe the girl was still alive. That's what I'm thinking. I think that even though he suspected she was dead, when he had Scorpio at his mercy, not a place you ever want to be at with Harry Callahan, I believe. When, when you have him at mercy, uh, I think Harry has to operate under the assumption that, that there's still a chance. And hey, now, the see, there's there's another possibility. He's also very angry at the way he was treated. By the, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he yeah. I mean, this could be like getting even. I mean, it could be. I don't think it's played that way. I don't think. No. I don't think there's that much nuance to Harry Callahan. I don't think that. I mean, yeah, he's bitter, but we've seen him let go of things before. You know, when when he gets accosted by the the neighborhood vigilantes, you know, he can he can let things go. But didn't we decide that was kind of practical? I didn't. I don't think that it was. I I, I know you and Anya think that he just didn't want to get written up, but I don't. I don't think there's any. I don't think Harry has played as if he has any guile or even self-awareness that the stuff that he does is wrong you know because because when the when the when the chief of police says when the, I'm sorry when the I'm sorry when the when the prosecutor the DA says you're lucky I'm not bringing you up on charges it is a complete surprise to Harry that this is even a conversation he's having he's not right he's not necessarily a, a wonky procedures guy he's kind of a plotter right. he's dogged and that's how he solves crimes I think in, in this iteration of Harry he's not a Columbo yeah. he's not the smartest guy in the room he's just diligent and dogged i think that's harry's strength so i don't i like i said i don't think there's any guile with harry i i don't think eastwood plays it as if there's if he has guile you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean am i 
do you think I'm misreading Harry? No, I don't think so. Um, and, and that's something that we were talking about last episode, is that there's definitely kind of this idea about, about Harry in this film in which he's almost, I don't, he, he's almost a force of nature rather than a character. You know, I, I think Anya talked about that a, a little bit more. And, and, and I was kind of seeing that too, that because, we talked about this, that because of the decision to cast a 41-year-old Clint Eastwood, it took away that character arc of him being just an older cop. Yep. And we don't get a lot of reasons for why Harry is the way he is. We get a little bit. We get intimations. Yeah. But but we don't get we don't get real specific information as to why how he got to this point. And yeah. so a lot of the decisions that he makes, he just kind of he, he he's not he, well, we also talked about this in the uh in the hot dog bank heist. He doesn't really want to do it. He no. would rather so it's not like that he's just a fiend for action. Like there's almost a hesitation in the fact that he has to do these things. He 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 kind of would rather not. He doesn't he doesn't enjoy it. He does not enjoy what he does. I don't know why he doesn't, but he doesn't. He doesn't really want to do it. But he he does want to see justice done and he's willing to he's willing to go the extra mile, but he's not um he's not obsessed with it. He doesn't seem to be. He's doing the job. And you know, this is just the way he does the job. He gets the job done and uh hopefully saves this girl's life. I think he's skeptical about it, but he's got to do everything he can to get that done. And beyond that, kind of reminds me actually of uh in in Patton when George Patton says that you know he's not a politician. And that's why he always gets into trouble. Uh, but but Patton kind of knows that about himself, and 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 Harry just kind of is kind of taken aback at the fact that he would get into trouble for this. He doesn't follow political developments at all, or or probably even department policy. He, yeah. he doesn't seem to. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, he's bewildered by the DA's revelations of Escobedo and Miranda. And even the Fourth Amendment seems to be shocking to him. Now, there are some aspects of the criticism that he gets in that they're angry at him for what he did, but they're mainly angry at him because they know that Scorpio's guilty, but they also know that they have no usable evidence. And that's why they're angry. It's not that Harry got the wrong guy or that they're worried about. I mean, because the DA says, I have no usable evidence. So here's a question. Would the DA have been as mad at Harry if Harry stomping on that injured leg of, of Scorpio had led them to the girl and the girl was still alive. Is that a different scene? Maybe. Maybe because because it could be sold in the press because, well, I mean, because, I mean, I think the way this movie plays these um, City Hall people, they're always thinking about perception. Yeah. About perception. Politicians do that. That's one of the ways in which this film is actually really, really kind of uh, as, as relevant now as it probably was then i mean like optics is king yeah so so i think that 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 makes a lot of sense and and it's i think even maybe even a little bit more relevant now maybe even than it was in that day but i I wonder you know i i think that you're onto something there that they're really mad at harry not because they're really that morally outraged at what he did because i think there's a reasonable case to be made for what he did trying to get that information to save that person you know I, I, I'm not saying that that's something that I would advocate because the thing that makes this movie kind of tough to watch and, and make moral judgments on, and it's the same thing with like military action science fiction where we have an alien coming from another world and they have and our, and our heroes have to fight that. These are morally perfect situations, right? Where we know that there's no moral ambiguity. What I mean to say is there's no moral ambiguity in this scene. You know what I mean? That, yes, yes. But part of that is Andy Robinson's performance. There is never any doubt that he is the the most horrible human being that ever lived. And it's now, it's true. Scorpio, right? So so if this was a different movie where you had a a villain that was maybe a little less hateable or, or if the film had been played with ambiguity as to whether or not this guy was Scorpio. I think that's the yeah. I think that's the thing yeah, that makes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what makes the difference, right? 
And and that's the situation when you're watching this film as a as a normal moral per- person, you're 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 probably not that outraged by what Harry does. But if you right. if you interpose a more realistic situation, everything that Harry does in this scene is horrifically wrong morally, right? Because he can't have perfect knowledge of this situation. And this is one of the things I think is kind of interesting about the film and interesting about scenes like this, and interesting about this kind of entertainment with regard to the moral question. And, and mysteries that the viewer has to kind of ponder, a lot of ambiguity is taken out. And so, you know, when people watch this, they all root for Dirty Harry. And sometimes it, that kind of thing carries over into the real world where they'll, where, where people will say, well, they should just do, they should just forget about that person's rights. You know, we know where the person did it, right? But I think that that's, that's probably one of the moral problems of the movie in some ways, in that it, it kind of glosses over the ambiguities of law enforcement a little bit. I mean, I, I don't mean to be reading too much into the film and maybe just because I've had too much gin but I think these are kind of interesting questions to ask of a film like this that is so entertaining and that has us rooting so thoroughly for Harry so thoroughly against Scorpio and being kind of annoyed with the system that Harry has to operate under but I but I think in the general context the system that Harry has to operate under is great for civil rights and I wish and I hope people think about that when they watch a film like this anyway I don't know I'm I'm kind of three sheets to the wind right now so here we are no, no, I, 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 I agree with that, and I think that evaluating my own perception, uh, I'm, I'm kind of happy with it. I was glad Harry did what he did, but I was also in total agreement with what the DA said. Absolutely. That's just the price you pay. I mean, you know, he, he made the decision that he made because there was a chance of saving this girl. Well, she was dead. And you'd like to keep Scorpio off the streets, but he just he cut one too many corners. He did it for a good reason. Yep. But he, well, I, I shouldn't say he did it for a good reason. I could see where it could be done for a good reason. But Harry didn't seem to even know that those corners were not corners that he was allowed to, to cut. Well, well, here's something I'll say to you. In that situation where you're 99% sure that the person that you've accosted has this information that may save this girl who may still be alive, I think that the moral thing to do, even knowing what we know about torture, even knowing what we know about these things, I think maybe the moral thing to do is what Harry does. And I know I might upset some audience members, but I also think that if you take that risk as somebody like Harry Callahan, um, then I think you have to accept the consequences that maybe you lose your job. Maybe you go to jail. You know what I mean? Cross that line. I think you have to do it with a kind of open understanding. Like, look, this is my, this is what I think is happening. And I, I don't think that a lot of, luckily, this doesn't come up very often in law enforcement, right? But, but I sort of think that that might have been the moral thing to do. I, if you think I'm wrong, feel free to push back. You know, and audience members, if you think I'm wrong, you know, please uh, feel free to comment and at me on Twitter uh, or you know, shoot us an email at the wonderful Gmail account, Lord Movies Thirty Nine and gmail.com but I, but I wonder I, I do kind of wonder if Harry didn't do the right thing morally morally I think he did legally he did not and and that's right that's you know I mean those those rights are there for a reason they're there for everybody not just not just the not just the innocent I mean because you can't know who the innocent are definitely this causes problems that Scorpio is now going to be out on out and free again well Harry is going to keep an eye on him yes yes Harry is going to keep a harassing eye on him now scorpio does some shady shit to get harry in trouble now i think that happens first right he tries to get harry in trouble by having somebody beat him up in a pretty horrific sadistic kind of scene where he goes to some you know leg breaker and pays the guy some money to beat him up uh so that he can blame it on harry This says, I, I think this scene is really fascinating because it, it demonstrates a lot of courage and, and I'm going to call it courage, incredible tolerance to pain and incredible acceptance of risk uh, on the part of Scorpio uh, to let this guy beat him up. And the guy is beating him up pretty bad. And the guy even says, hey, man, you sure you want to keep on going with this? And uh, the, 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 the leg breaker beating him up is, a, is, a, is African-American. And Scorpio decides to, in this moment, remind them man how much he's paid and punctuate that reminder with some kind of racial epithet right right and this immediately the uh i guess the concern of the leg breaker who who really goes goes all in on on giving scorpio his money's worth do you think scorpio was wanting that 
Oh, well, I mean, I think he wants to get dirt. I think he wants to get Harry Callahan in trouble. And we know that he's a racist. So he meant what he said to the guy. And right. so, yeah, I, I think that he wanted that. He wanted to get beat up. Anthony Robin, I, I, that's his name, right? Anthony Robinson? Andy, Andy. Okay. He is so good in the next scene where he's being interviewed by the press on a hospital gurney and he's really badly beaten up. And the the problem, I think, I would have, as a skeptical press corps operative, I would have noticed how kind of joyous and gleeful Scorpio seems about his reporting of what Callahan has done to him. He almost he almost is too happy about it. It's almost too neat, right? Yeah. And, and one wonders, like, if Harry didn't just have a rock-solid alibi because he's not pulled off the street, his badge isn't revoked. None of this happens to him, I don't think, right? Right. He doesn't get in any trouble. So it's almost like Robinson, I'm sorry, Scorpio just, like, hoped for the best with this. Yeah. And didn't see, didn't, like, cur- coordinate his beating with a hole in Harry's schedule, right? Right, right. So anyway, so it doesn't really go anywhere, but it does say a lot about Scorpio, this this scene. It's a great scene. I, I mean, I love it. It's it's It horrified me when I first saw it as a young teenager, and it, it continues to horrify me even to this day. Oh, because, I mean, one of the interesting things about Scorpio is that he got off. You know, he, he, he uh, he's killed these people. He got off, and nobody's going to pursue him. The rational actor stops all all this and leave you're absolutely right and, and maybe is it someplace else yeah you know now he he does intend to leave he wants to he wants to punish harry and he and he still can't hold back from making a splash he's always you know he, he needs attention he likes attention he likes he likes to hurt people as well but but i mean but, but he needs people to suffer both his victims and the people in the community he wants them to suffer too absolutely and he wants people to know that he's doing what he's doing he doesn't want to get caught does want people to know he doesn't want to get caught uh you're right he doesn't want anonymity though but it's almost like a compulsion with him because you're right he's free and clear he beats himself up with help uh, to get Harry in trouble. That doesn't really work, but he, he could wander around for the rest of his life in San Francisco if he just kept his nose clean and didn't do anything. But I think almost even before the band-aid are off, he robs a liquor store, beats up somebody at a liquor store, and he's immediately put his freedom in jeopardy, right? Yeah. And it's almost like he can't help himself. The person at the liquor store or convenience store, whatever it is, um, whatever they have in, in liberal San Francisco, the person is perfectly nice and friendly doesn't know who Scorpio is and Scorpio is perfectly nice and friendly right up until the moment where he isn't Robinson is great this is a, kind of a scary scene actually uh, I think you know if you've given yourself over to the film and then he's off on his next I guess his third act rampage right it's after this that he he hijacks the school bus and he's going to use that to I mean but which again you know what's his plan here no one's after him nobody he doesn't really need he doesn't need to do this he could just leave <laughs> like could, yeah he could hit you. he could do anything but he, he needs to make a splash he needs to frighten people and that seems to be a need of his so he um he takes over a school bus in the middle of in the middle of the route i kind of like how they you know the, the bus driver you know she's just going through her day and then suddenly here's scorpio and he's got her butt her bus she knows she's probably going to die yeah right i mean she know i mean i mean she's certainly afraid of it but she knows that you know in a situation like this you probably don't get out of it yeah absolutely we've talked a little bit about the the politics of the movie in terms of the supreme court cases and miranda and all that kind of thing this movie does is very manipulative absolutely the point of this movie is to show the viewers of this movie a killer who would frighten anybody that the mere thought that someone like this could exist is is so frightening that in watching the movie you, we are desperate to see something done absolutely and now he, he's got kids with him now and and now he's um he's threatening children and he, he just keeps upping his game and you know throughout the movie and just making us dislike him more absolutely now this is interesting there were a lot of parallels loose parallels to the zodiac killer and scorpio the zodiac killer did threaten school buses and school children i didn't know that he did in one of his letters to uh I guess the San Francisco uh, newspapers. I don't remember which one. He said he was going to shoot a school bus or shoot out of the tires of a school bus or something. The screenplay isn't subtle about the Zodiac parallel, but but definitely Zodiac.
Zodiac, the Scorpio is upping the ante quite a lot. And I think this next sequence sort of aligns with your hypothesis and Ani's hypothesis that that Harry is a force of nature, right? Because yeah. I think because when Harry comes to confront Zodiac, I'm sorry, Scorpio, he's doing almost the Jason Voorhees walk throughout the whole sequence. You know what I mean? And 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 of course, when yeah. Scorpio, Scorpio's got the kids, he's he's being very horrifying on the bus, and the kids are reacting wonderfully. Probably because Robinson is so scary. And Scorpio, I, I think in in the in the previous podcast we mentioned that Robinson really hated terrorizing kids on the bus and felt bad about it and, uh, and had trouble doing the scene. Right trouble doing the scene with the African-American actor who he had to racially insult. You know, uh, Robinson seems like the sweetest guy who spent a career playing morally ambiguous or morally evil characters. But but he's on the bus. He's threatening the city. He wants his money or what maybe he wants his notoriety. I think maybe that's more it. I think you nailed it. And as the bus is going under some overpass on bridge with crossbeams, very cruciform crossbeams on the bridge, there stands Harry Callahan in his brown 70s suit. And yeah. it's very iconic. And it's 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 almost a Western moment where the bad guy sees the the guy in the white hat. Though Harry doesn't wear a white hat, obviously, and right. not ever wear a white hat because he's a morally gray character. But it's a great moment, and, and I think that the, when he, when he sees when when Scorpio sees Harry on the bridge that the bus is about to pass under, I think it's kind of a great moment for Scorpio to kind of reveal a little of fear on his own part, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's he's not happy to see Harry. <laughs> I think what Scorpio likes is the game he can play with the system. And what I think he wants to see is somebody who accepts the system and plays within the rules of the system, right? Right. But at the end of the day, what he wants is somebody like Chico or somebody like... Uh, uh, a younger cop who knows the rules who are going to arrest him and then the cycle can start up again. They'll send him to Arkham Asylum and he'll break out and uh, he'll he'll be able to play this game. But Harry doesn't, Harry's not there to arrest Scorpio, I don't think. Do you think right. Harry's there to arrest him? No, no. He, he, he intends to end it here. Yeah. So I, I do want to back up because uh, one of the things that I had talked about in episode one was about the, the location shooting in San Francisco and before they get to the overpass that Max was talking about, they cross the Golden Gate Bridge, and then they go through a uh, tunnel that goes through a mountain. That, that is exactly the the uh, geography of that northern part uh, of San Francisco, because the Golden Gate Bridge is on the north side of San Francisco and leads in, uh, to eventually Marin County, but San Rafael and all these other. And I've been through that that, that underpass, and so in watching this scene, I'm, I'm just thinking like, well, I feel like I'm there. I think we ate it in in and out burger, like right there. Like, But Harry jumps on the bus, and I guess we should say this, Clint Eastwood did do the jump. Apparently, Clint Eastwood did, did all of his own stunts in this film. Okay, so, so he kind of he Tom Cruise did, huh? He kind of did. He kind of did. And that's a pretty dangerous stunt, I think, you know. I wish films embraced this kind of location shooting a little bit more. I really enjoy seeing a film that purports to be at a place, especially yes. a place that I've been. And yeah. it is actually at that place. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I've been there. Oh, I know that place. I've been to that place. You know, I, as a viewer, I like that. As a viewer, I also like to see something that looks authentic because it is, you know what I mean? I like to see, I like to see real sets. I like to see nation shooting. I know that it's enormously difficult for filmmakers to do that sometimes. It can be quite expensive. But but I think that if you do a little of it, it can go a long way. And I, and I, I know great directors listen to this show. Of course. Uh, you know, I, I know people like Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, a boatload of pornography directors listen to this show. And I want them to kind of just think about... <laughs> I want them to think about at least doing a few location shots so that we establish the reality of a place. And yes. And even if you've never been to that place, by doing some location shooting, this works wonderfully in Christopher Nolan's Batman films. Even though many of us who have been to Chicago a lot of times, I, I happen to be a person who loves the city of Chicago. I lived in Chicagoland for many years, so I was able to hop on, you know, the, the mass transit there in Chicago and hop in and go into town very easily. And even though I know that Gotham is Chicago in the Christopher Nolan films, 
films by by shooting it in a real location and not simply in studios and not simply in in green screen environments i think that filmmakers give themselves an edge in helping viewers into a reality uh you know it's a, it's a you know an alternate reality obviously it's a dreamlike reality but I, I think it's such a useful thing to do. And and this film, you know, as much fun as it is as an action film, as a thriller, as a as a as even as a, a police anti-procedural, um, it's 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 almost it's not quite a travelogue, but it is such a good snapshot of San Francisco. And I've never been to San Francisco, but I feel like this film lets me into a little of San Francisco in exactly the same way I think that Star Trek Four lets me into San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which we've reviewed. Absolutely. Um, so filmmakers, Steve, and I, by that I mean Steve Spielberg. He knows I, who he is. You know, just I think that that's a great thing to do. And, and obviously it's expensive, but you don't have to do it all. You don't have to do, like this film is all, it is almost all location shooting, it seems. And it's glorious for that it feels very grounded but sort of like uh with uh peter jackson's amazing lord of the rings trilogy you can go digital fake sets to real world shooting and you just need enough to help the viewer into the world yeah because there's places in new zealand that you can go that are not green screens they're actual places where those scenes were shot absolutely and that's a fantasy film so you know just because this is a cop film you know that doesn't mean that i mean a fantasy film could do that too Absolutely. Well, and it does. It does. Like, I know that there's there's a lot of handing off between, like, real sets, real locations to digital locations. And it's it's so good because, and so and that's all it takes is just a little bit. You talked about this in some of our Godzilla films that we reviewed, the, the modern yes. ones, and, yes. and how it hurts those films in that they are just digital cities. They could be yeah. anywhere. You could put any lower third, Los Angeles, New York, whatever under any of those and it doesn't matter because there's nothing there that strikes the viewers as a real place right uh, that is the that's one of the strengths of this film it's location shooting i i don't remember if it was you or Anya who said it but san francisco is a character in the film yes and and that's i and i and i love it for that i actually i was i was really and, and the cinematography supports that absolutely it's, it's very well shot this this movie is uh pleasurable to watch in terms of the, the shot set up you know the panoramic views of the city um it, it's it's really well done absolutely all right jason i went on a diatribe about filmmaking but that's what you signed on for that's what you signed on for uh steven peter yeah we're talking we're talking to that you know our elite audience right now martin <laughs> sorry sorry yeah steven's a patron back to the movie at hand audience uh scorpio is a little horrified he didn't catch a procedural cop he has the force of nature and harry gets the bus to stop somehow is that right yeah, yeah. and uh Scorpio runs off the bus. The kids are safe. The bus driver somehow survived. And they're at this weird kind of almost Mediterranean arid kind of area in San Francisco. And it's like a mining, it's a mining facility a little bit, right? Yeah. And, and and Harry and and Scorpio exchange some gunfire. Harry engages in his Jason Voorhees walk. He doesn't ever really run after Scorpio. He's just this yeah. always appearing, a Michael Myers walk, whatever you want to call it. It's quite thrilling. It doesn't look it doesn't look bad. I, I I'm making I, I'm I'm hyperbolizing a bit, audience, but but it doesn't look bad. And the whole chase kind of culminates in this showdown because luckily for Scorpio there's some kid fishing in this old quarry this mining quarry uh, I guess they stocked the mine the old mine pond or whatever and Scorpio grabs the kid and he says drop it copper or whatever it is that he says and Harry I'm, I'm, I'm describing this pretty pretty accurately right yeah oh, totally and Harry lowers the gun his model 29 44 magnum 6.5 inch barrel beauty of engineering and Scorpio thinks he's got it he's gonna shoot Harry he's gonna shoot the kid and he's gonna get to continue playing the game but Harry that was really loud sorry audience snaps the gun back up and and shoots Scorpio in the in the shoulder in exactly the way I did not when I tried to duplicate this shot <laughs> 
and wounds the wound Scorpio. The kid gets away. And as Scorpio's recollecting himself, Harry appears above him and says, what does he say to Scorpio, Jason? Well, he, uh, uh, he, he ends up repeating the same, the same iconic line from earlier in the movie. He, he, he goes, he goes through it verbatim. He does. Uh, exactly. I mean, he, he doesn't change anything. He the only thing, the, the only thing that's different is he is really angry this time. He wasn't angry the first time he gave that line. Which, which I, so um, I always assumed the, uh, oh, do you punk? That sounded more right. And but the, in the iconic scene, he doesn't say that. He says, well, do you punk? Yeah. And so Eastwood is an actor. And and maybe Duff Eagle had something to do with this as well. To separate those two scenes, in one he's playful and has the upper hand, and, and he he knows that he he's out. Uh, but but he just knows that he's going to bully this guy into surrendering. But he doesn't really take it seriously. Here he wants to kill him. It's almost go ahead, make my day. You just hit upon something that's interesting, and I hadn't thought about this. He doesn't have. It's almost as if so. In the first time, the first time he utters that line. It's almost as if he doesn't have anything against the bank robber. Yeah, he's not mad at the guy. He's, I mean, he's having, a, he's having a go at the guy. He's needling the guy, but he doesn't hate the guy, right? Yeah. He doesn't right. necessarily want to kill the guy, even though this, this guy's crew is shot at him. It's almost like Harry thinks this guy's a bank robber. I'm a cop, and that's just what we do, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Scorpio, he positively wants to kill Scorpio. He hates Scorpio. That's why when he goes. Do you punk? Yeah, it's it's real rage. Whereas earlier, yeah. it's just like, I got you this time, guy. Next yeah. time, you might get me. Yeah, because this time, there are no procedural problems. If he, if he takes him in, Scorpio's toast. Absolutely. So, but he he really wants to end it here. He, want, he wants to kill him. He does. I, I want to highlight Rob, Anthony Robinson, or uh, sorry, Robinson's performance here. There's a moment of hesitance, but I also think there's some moment of, yeah, this is it. Either I get him or he gets me, because I'm I'm not walking away from this. And so he makes his play. And of course, I mean, Harry's already got the gun aimed at him. And there's really just no, when you've got five X chromosomes and a 44 Magnum, you just can't. <laughs> So I've just crippled Jason audience. You just can't lose a shootout. Right. And he 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 does kill Scorpio. He doesn't blow his head clean off, but he does he does terminate the important biological functions of Scorpio. Uh he had in fact only shot five, and there was a six round waiting to go flying downrange at 14. But he knew a second. But he knew he knew that. He did, he did. And it's a great moment. It is a great payoff. And and Scorpio flies back into the fish pond at the quarry, dead as the day is long. I've mixed some metaphors there, audience, forgive me. Harry walks away, throws his badge into the San Francisco dirt and walks off into the San Francisco west or east. Or uh, He doesn't really walk off into the sunset. But this was a point of contention. I mentioned this at the in the, in the first podcast, in episode one of, of Dirty Harry. Clint Eastwood didn't want to do this scene. Right. Because he he was thinking franchise. He thought this is a good this this is a character we can return to. But Siegel thought this was a great moment and needed to be in the movie. And he convinced he convinced uh Clint Eastwood that this was a fitting and apt conclusion to the film. And I'm going to ask Jason, and, and I'll put this question to Anya uh, for her, her Tuesday short, who's right here? Does Should Dirty Harry throw his... With just, just looking at this film, not looking at the series as a whole, just looking at this film, is this the right move or is Clint Eastwood right? Uh, should should he not have thrown the badge away? Well, now, um, that being said, Eastwood did change his mind uh, and he did end up accepting. It was because, yeah, it was Siegel's idea yep. to, have, to have him talk the badge and and the reason was so i i think eastwood's right okay and, and and but there's a reason for that i i think don siegel had the right artistic instinct but i think the reason that eastwood is right because you know you mentioned that he was thinking series even if you take that out the problem with the the decision to toss the badge is is connected to what i think that we we all kind of stumbled upon in the first uh, the, the first episode of our podcast is that when clint eastwood took the role and harry callahan became a young man 
a lot of the thematic material that this movie actually does capture the 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 the, the narrative and the directoral decisions this this movie is 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 spectacularly directed don siegel is, is a pro and an artist but i think that if you had had an older actor play this role they would not have played it as well as eastwood don't get me wrong but there would have been this theme of things aren't the way they used to be i don't like the red tape therefore i don't want to be a cop anymore i don't think the movie as filmed with clint eastwood really sells that i i really don't think that i mean i mean even though the movie is full of that theme of the red tape of city hall and harry has no has no patience that he has no time for that but i this is not a character study clint eastwood's dirty uh dirty harry callahan this is not a character study of him this is an action film harry callahan is uh, is more like a lot of the cop heroes of later films like uh, john mcclain and die hard absolutely a great a great action figure but don't watch any of these movies and think that you're going to see okay, let me make a comparison and even though it's not a cop movie, let me um, let me bring up um, Rocky. If I asked you to talk about what what makes Rocky Balboa tick, just based on the first movie, you could probably write a paper about it, or at least talk for ten minutes about him being an underdog, about him being a nice guy who just you know nothing ever seems to work out for him, and you know he can't seem to keep a girlfriend, and you know he, he's working for a, um, a, a a a loan shark in a job that he doesn't respect, and he just he just wants a shot at something in his life. I could go on and on and on and on and on. And I actually think that if if Harry Callahan had been this old, grizzled, cynical cop who is used to how things used to be, then you would have had a, a, a lot of character material that would have made that badge toss makes sense. As it is, I don't get it. I, I mean, and when I say I don't get it, I don't mean, well, they're going to make four or more movies, so it makes no sense. I really mean that, you know, until I read that that's what Don Siegel wanted to depict, I didn't get it. Well, I, I'm glad you said all that, because I don't get it either, because there aren't even any stakes like that in the film. Like, nobody says to Harry, don't go after this guy, do they? No. No, no. Yeah. And so, so it's not like the system is in his way and thus he does he says fuck the system and goes after the guy gets the guy and then it's like well the system won't let me do it so I've got this is not the job for me anymore because the system's in my way those stakes don't, don't exist in the last act of this film right right he basically does everything that he's supposed to do I do want to ask questions to the San Francisco PD about their backup policies yeah but he he's not in violation of their orders he does everything by the book basically right yeah. so yeah so none of so so him tossing the bat at the end, especially since he is a character that is not really full of guile or self-reflection. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have long conversations with himself at the end of the night about what he's done that day. I don't right. get that sense about Harry in this film. He's not a dumb guy, but he's not he's not somebody who thinks about these things either. He's there's there's right and there's wrong and he's going he's out trying to enforce the right and protect people. That's that's what I get out of Harry. So I'm absolutely with you that, that the badge toss makes no sense unless it's that other film that we didn't get. Yeah. You know, this makes sense if it's Frank Sinatra playing the character. This makes sense if it's John Wayne playing the character, right? Yeah. And I'm not complaining. I'm no, not no. I mean I mean actually I'm I do not wish that we had that film. I, I I mean really I'm not complaining, but that's not what this film is. No, no. I think I think you're right, and and I I I, I kind of vacillated uh, on this question until pretty recently. But I, I I'm with you, even putting aside the fact that there's going to be more movies. I think that the badge toss scene doesn't work in this film, and and, and I don't mean to be knocking Don Siegel here because, as you said, this is otherwise a masterfully directed and conceived film. And this isn't even a, a bad error. You know, this is just a director maybe pushing an idea too far, an idea that didn't quite fit in this film that fit in the original conception, right? Yeah. And 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 I can totally see it. And 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 I, I Don, I know you're dead, but but if you want to speak to us from beyond the grave, don't forget that Max uh I'm sorry, Lord Movies39 at gmail.com. <laughs> I will even accept emails from dead people. But I know that he must have conceived this shot because it's a great shot the shot is great in the film when he tosses the badge it is really well done 
yeah. I, I, I'm with you though. I don't think it fits in this movie. I think Clint Eastwood was right. Don Siegel was wrong. But it, I mean, it doesn't hurt the film audience. I don't think. Watch it and let us know what you think. But I, I don't think this. I'm with you. I don't think this scene fits. And that 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 takes us to the end of the film, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Scorpio's floating in the water, juxtaposed to the first killing of the film of the woman. Yeah. Uh, floating in the water it's come full circle uh and that's very clever see don siegel brilliant director yes audience when we when we're when we're criticizing him about this this throwing the badge in the dirt shot it is a minor criticism yes. of, a, of an excellent film and and so in 1971 probably nobody thought they were going to ever see dirty carrie dirty carrie hallahan dirty harry callahan uh in a film again and so they were obviously wrong because in a few short years they would be what's the next film magnum force magnum force and audience i i cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to Magna Force as a person who has recently come into an appreciation of Magnum caliber handguns. I cannot wait to see all the Magnums that must be in this film. There must be a 22 Magnum, a 357 Magnum, a 44 Magnum, a 460 Magnum, a 500 Magnum. I just hope that it's just raining Magnum handguns. Anyway, I guess that brings us to the verdict, Jason, unless there's anything you want to say. Do you want to talk about the score? You're generally Jason's score. Well, um, we did mention it during the opening credits. The the, the the score for this film by Lalo Schifrin is absolutely delightful. Um, it's it's very groovy. If you like, if you like good 70s scores which i and i do i, I do too i'm glad you said that i do too um, well, I mean, I think that the thing about 70s film scores is that they're very unique. There's there's no mistaking what era they're from. And this one's a great one. Well, this kept this one kept putting me back in mind, especially in the opening, the opening, that opening long shot of silence. But we had the score. I'm sorry, not, not silence, but no dialogue. I just kept thinking about Enter the Dragon. It's, it's not the same score, but it, it, it dovetails with what you're saying about a 70s score is a 70s score. Yes. Oh, oh, by the way, Max. Yep. When you said that it reminded you of Enter the Dragon, I, I had a neuron fire, so I just double checked. Music for Enter the Dragon was done by Lalo Ship. Well, that, that makes total sense. The only thing the score was missing was a mostly <laughs> uh battle cry that's interesting that is really fascinating one of the neat things that I, that i have found about doing this podcast with my uh, prestigious co-host jason and sort of prestigious co-host anya at times is just kind of how there are so many connections within the films that we watch and and i don't know i just, I just kind of find that endlessly fascinating you just said that into the dragon was composed by the the composer of this film yep you know that's that's bruce lee and Clint Eastwood connected by music. It's a brilliant and a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, and uh, and this score works beautifully. So I was a little shocked when reading the trivia on IMDb, IMDb about how uh, Chiffron was really trying to impose some interesting ideas in the score to reflect what's going on on the screen. With Scorpio, for instance, he had like these women's voices singing, right? Yeah, like choral music kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm not the score student that you are, but but I did find this score like really, really nice. I, I, I dug it. So I guess that brings us to the verdict. Do you want to go first? Sure. All right. Um, I will I will allow this. I, I That's fair. So are you ready? Yeah. You, you need a moment? No. And the verdict. Dirty Harry from 1971 is uh, a, a marvelous action film. Uh, it's extraordinarily well directed by a master craftsman, Don Siegel, who was justly admired by his protege, Clint Eastwood. It's magnificently photographed. It's a really smart script. There's actually a lot of evidence that the, the uh, a lot of the rewrites done by, by John Milius were a little bit more over the top, and Siegel was pretty, and, and Eastwood were both uh, rather instrumental in kind of ringing it back. And the result is a, a really, really tight film with gripping scenes and great, great, memorable, classic dialogue. The dialogue itself makes it a classic film, folks, because this is one of those movies, as many of the Dirty Harry movies are, is a movie that you've all seen by osmosis, because there are scenes in all of these movies that you have seen, even if you haven't seen, because it, it's just so much in the uh, the collective unconsciousness of, of, of popular culture in our country. The music is fantastic. It, it, it is a thematic film, but I think the only 
the absolute, and it's marvelously acted, but the only slight criticism would be that Don Siegel, great director that he is, definitely swings for the fences thematically and doesn't quite get over the fence. I, I actually think Dirty Harry wants to be a great movie, and it almost is. It's a very, very good thriller. It's worth watching again and again and again and again, and it is an American classic. It doesn't quite nail what I think Don Siegel was really trying to nail. And I think that we, the three of us, and especially in the first episode, stumbled upon why that was. And Max and I just talked about uh, the throwing away of the badge. That actually, um, a lot of what this movie tries to be, which is kind of a standalone work of art about this police officer who fights against the bureaucracy of City Hall. And in the end, even though he, he meets out just in his own way he just walks away from it because he doesn't want to be part of the red tape anymore that's what this movie is shooting for it doesn't nail that but that's okay i don't complain about that at all i'm glad we didn't get that film i'm glad we have this film this is a really really terrific movie i would recommend it to anybody we will see if it's the best of the dirty harry films but my my gut would say that it is very very high ratings and you should watch it if you haven't seen it. i agree with everything jason just said my my verdict is a, a little different, I suppose, but but I would say a lot of you think that this is about a trigger-happy cop that is one step away from a vigilante. This isn't that film. And so I would I would I would say you know, put us if you haven't seen the film, put aside that conception. Harry Callahan is a different kind of character. Um, he is kind of a guileless, not ambitious police officer, and that's the character that that we get. I think that the film's one of the film's strengths is the kind of moral questions that it asks for an incredible action thriller. Jason just said that this is a great action film, and it absolutely is. Even for 1971, I think it holds up very well even by modern standards of action but but i think that this film kind of stands apart in that it does kind of behave as this moral compass a moral sounding board where you have to ask some interesting questions as you watch it especially as a modern viewer who might be thinking a little more deeply about criminal justice about citizen uh, about human rights and i think that's sort of one of the things that makes the film really exciting to watch as a viewer that it makes you a little uncomfortable that it makes you think a little bit even though it is kind of a mindless action film and so it it, it walks both it walks in both worlds it's it's I, I think it's very interesting in that way and I think that it's good to watch films that might make you a little uncomfortable. And I think that I think that Dirty Harry offers that. And it offers a bunch of great things to do after you've seen the movie. And so this is where I'll end my, my verdict. It's just rambling and gin infused. But but one of the things that Jason and I have done for 30 years is go to films and try and find these interesting questions that the films pose. Sometimes the filmmakers don't even know they're posing them. And then we would go to the local coffee shop occasionally a bar like Smiley's in Richmond, Indiana, and talk for hours about these questions and these ideas. And I think that Dirty Harry is a really wonderful film that offers the action ride and the discussion after the film. And not every film can do that. And Dirty Harry does that in spades. Absolutely. Totally agree. Okay. And, and, so, and, and so that's why I think you should see it. You should watch it again if you haven't thought that deeply about Dirty Harry. And that's the verdict from Max and Jason watch a movie. Audience, next week, Jason, we're doing Magnum Enforcer. What is it? Magnum Force. That's right. That's the next installment of the Dirty Harry series uh, where uh, Jason's in, in, in informed me that it's going to be raining Magnum handguns throughout the entire movie. It's the, it's the whole plot of the film. Audience, look for Anya's Tuesday short coming up soon as she gets back from her vacation where she'll give her verdict of Dirty Harry. It'll be a little different than Jason and I's. She's a little more critical of Harry, I think, than probably we are. Look for us on Instagram. Anya does a great job of curating that our Instagram page at Max and Jason Watch a Movie Instagram. The actual link is. I'll try and put it in the links. You can follow me at The Separate Test on Twitter. You can email us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com and look for our next episode next week at Max and Jason watching movie. Magnum Force, I think, is the one. And good night, guys. Good night. If they cast the film today, who plays Dirty Harry Callahan? Wow. Oh. I mean, Gilbert Godfrey's dead, so we don't we don't have that option anymore. <laughs>